if you want the Spirit to be here and to work in this room and to speak to you and to us as a community, would you join me as we uh, pray this prayer together that I believe... There we go. Join me and pray together. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I found this website uh, recently, and uh, the article had this title. It said, What's Your Pastor's shirt says about their theology. Now, apparently they had done a previous one on uh, what your pastor's jeans and what your pastor's choice of coffee uh, says about their theology, but I just wanted to share a few of these, uh, what the pastor's shirt says about their theology. First is this one. Uh, The little comment said this, this pastor is extremely passionate about the coming men's retreat. (laughs) Likes likely rides a motorcycle, does an annual awkward sermon series about sex, and still drops a lot of Braveheart references. (laughs) Here's the next one. Uh, This is the short sleeve dress shirt with a tie. It says, this is a uniform for pastors who believe it's wrong to read from anything but a King James Bible, aren't big on things like dancing, questioning authority, or any forms of modern entertainment, that involve not reading the King James Bible. It's either that or they could be Mormon. (laughs) So here's the next one. (laughs) Crazy shirt with like a thousand paisleys all over it. The only comment for this one was definitely a heretic. (laughs) Here's the next one. Uh, Extra long hipster t-shirt. Said this is likely the worship pastor just filling in. So expect a sermon that ends with a very dramatic, very special worship song. How about this one? Untucked dress shirt with an open collar. Uh, This is the shirt of choice for pastors who like to use memorable acronyms to distill complicated biblical principles into joke-laden sermons. Uh, The look also works for dads going out for a nice dinner and tech executives. And then finally this one. This is the brown Old Navy polo. Sensible, timeless, kind of drab, definitely a shirt for Reformed theologians. (laughs) I've been known to wear this. So one of the things that a shirt can, can signal is your approach to engaging culture. And and that's sort of, I think, what the point of this humorous uh, article was. How do we relate with the world as Christians? How do we relate with those outside the walls of the church? Now, churches throughout history have taken very different approaches. Uh, The two extremes that people will talk about is that some churches will emphasize being distinct from the world. Uh, It's an emphasis on piety. Uh, We emphasize not being contaminated by the world. And so the the church can build up walls, so to speak, and keep themselves from being uh, influenced by uh, the values of the world and culture. 
The, on the opposite end of the spectrum is an emphasis on engaging with culture. And in that approach, there's an emphasis on evangelism and an emphasis on saving the lost. And sometimes when you take that approach, you can become so much like the culture, you're no longer distinct. You can't differentiate the Christian from the non-Christian or the church from a business or a concert or some other form of entertainment. So what approach do we take at King's Church? How do, how do we uh, try to live out the calling Jesus has given us? Well, I want to talk this morning as we continue in the series on the church. I want us to look at this image of salt and light that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5. Because I think salt and light show us that there truly is this third way a third way to approach our world, to engage with our culture, uh, not assimilating them and becoming like the culture, but really bringing our distinctive kingdom values to bear on daily life. Now, when we look at our passage this morning, I, I want you to notice something, and we're going to read that here in Matthew 5. I'm going to start here in verse 11, and I'm just going to ask you to follow along as, as we look here. In Matthew 5, starting in verse 11, here's Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." So you see here, Jesus gives this analogy of describing who we should be as his followers, that we should be salt and light. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus says, we are salt and light. Jesus doesn't say we ought to be salt and light, or that we should strive to be salt and light. Jesus says, you are salt and light. Jesus here tells us who we are before he tells us what we should do. Dale Bruner is a, is a scholar. He puts it this way. Christians are, by the simple fact that they are with Jesus, the salt of the earth. The Christian ethic is an ethic of become what you are rather than the Greek or Confucian ethic of become what you should be. And that makes all the difference in the world because it addresses the motivation of our hearts. We aren't compelled to live as salt and light out of guilt or shame or judgment. We simply live out of who we are in Jesus. And there's great freedom in that, but there's also great responsibility in that. And so we have to take the freedom and the responsibility together as we seek to live out of our union with Jesus, as we trust in Him and seek to find our significance in Him, and seek to live 
has become a follower of Jesus Christ. And out of this identity, we should be asking that question. So how are we living? How are we engaging with our world? How are we living out this faith that Jesus has handed over to us? And so we, as the church, as God's people here in King's Church, we are salt and light. You are salt and light. And before we talk a little more about what that means specifically, all I want to say is that it's obvious in this passage that salt and light do not exist for themselves. It's a very important point for us to notice. The church does not exist for itself. The famous quote, you've probably heard it, the church is the only organization that exists for the benefits of its non-members. If we're only asking the question, what is good for King's Church, then we aren't living out of this calling that Jesus has given us. We aren't being salt and light. We need to be asking the question, not only what's good for King's Church, but more importantly, what's good for those outside the walls of King's Church? What's good for our city? What's good for our world? That's the important question we need to ask. And by doing so, we are living out God's calling for His people, and that's the calling God has had for His people throughout Scripture. If we go back all the way to the Old Testament, uh, that was God's design for Israel. In Genesis 22, when God uh, is speaking here of Abraham and his descendants, He says, I will surely bless you, I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. See, it was always part of God's design that His people would be moving out and blessing the world. That's, that was God's plan. That's the plan Jesus is giving to His followers here in Matthew 5. That's the calling that we have as a church. And that is something that I think, as, if we're honest, we probably haven't asked enough as King's Church. I mean, there are certain things that we've done at, over the years where that has been the motivating factor. For example, you know, when we started this church, it was called City Presbyterian Church. And after five years of time, uh, we decided to change the name. Why did we change the name of King's, to King's Church? We didn't change it for the people that were a part of the church. We changed it for the people who had yet come to King's Church. We didn't want the name to be a barrier to anyone coming and feeling welcome. And then you might ask, well, a year ago in September, we moved to Petroleum Club. Why did we move to Petroleum Club? Well, I mean, let's be honest, we wanted air conditioning. So, I mean, <laughs> there was some selfish motives in that, but we wanted to be able to engage our community better. We wanted to be a church that was more welcoming to those who were not a part of King's Church. And that was a primary motivation for what we did. And as we think about 2017, one of the big ticket items that our church is going to be focused on and praying about and moving towards is seeing a church plant birthed out of King's Church. Now, why are we doing that? Does that benefit King's Church? No. We hope that giving birth to a gospel Christ-centered church community in some other location will benefit the people who live in that area, who live in, 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 in those communities. That's why we would do it. That's why we would, we would spend the money and the resources and the people to do such a thing. 
That would be us living as salt and light. And so this is the calling Jesus has given us. And so what does he mean by salt and light? Well, how are we to understand this? Well, I think he uses salt and light because it teaches us two important things. It shows us about being distinct from the world and engaged with the world. It shows us that third way, not completely distinct and unengaged or completely engaged and not distinct, but being distinct from the world and being engaged with the world. Now, his use of salt is interesting. It's interesting because the way this metaphor has been explained, uh, as long as I've heard this story, when I've heard pastors or read commentaries on this passage and, and understood uh, what Jesus means here by salt, it's always been explained from a culinary perspective. And maybe you've heard it explained that way, that, that Jesus here is, is referring to salt in, a, in how it's used with food. For example, salt is used to preserve food uh, with meat. They would rub salt into the meat to preserve it so it wouldn't decay, it wouldn't rot. Or salt is rubbed into the food or the meat in order to bring out its flavor. And you can see that's really helpful in, in how to understand being engaged in the world, in the culture, that we are scattered out and, and we're in deep and we're trying to bring out uh, the wonderful qualities of our communities and, 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 and things like this. But I recently read an article that was taking issue with this interpretation and in fact changing it slightly to see that salt here, Jesus isn't speaking of salt from a culinary perspective. That in fact Jesus is speaking as salt in an agricultural way. You see, salt was used as a fertilizer. Uh, salt would be used in Jesus' day uh, to help keep and preserve manure from rotting and decaying. Salt could be used in the soil uh, to help the soil retain moisture, to kill surface weeds, and allow the more deeply rooted plants to thrive. Uh, salt could be used on the ground uh, to help the minerals and nutrients from the soil uh, nourish the plants. You see, from this cultural understanding of how salt works, we can begin to make, I think, better sense of what Jesus means in Luke 14, because Jesus refers to the same idea in Luke 14, but he says this, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile, it is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so it appears that if we're supposed to be salt in the agricultural sense, it means we're supposed to get messy. We're supposed to get in the manure. We're supposed to go where nothing is growing. Instead of going to the bright, new, exciting places, exploring the opportunities that that seem to be uh, successful or enticing, uh, to pursue activities or careers that, that maybe normal people will say, well, that's what everybody does, so that's what we should do as Christians. We should surprise people in the choices that we make. If we get advanced degrees at prestigious universities, 
Maybe we use that, that privilege and power for those who are underprivileged or to make an impact in communities that don't have the resources that we have. You see, as Christians, to be salt in the agricultural sense is to go where, where there's decay and, and there's barrenness and to bring life, to bring life of the gospel, the life of Christ into those places that are, that are in need. Anthony Bradley, who wrote that article, giving this perspective on salt, put it this way. He says, as salt, we're intended to bring life and flourishing out of decaying manure piles and arid soil where nothing grows. Spheres of society that are dead, barren, or rotting because Christians are not there. Wherever the world is not the way God and His goodness intended it to be, that is where Christians should be encouraging and training one another to go. Salt has this distinct life-giving influence to soil that's devoid of life, and that is our calling as followers of Christ. To keep that distinctness but to be scattered out, to be engaged in the mess, to not be afraid to put ourselves out there in the risk and the difficulties and the barrenness of our world. That's what it means to be salt. That's what it means to be the church. And we are attempting to do that as a community through our Love Your Neighbor team and in our emphasis on the foster care community. We are seeking as a church to be salt in that specific area, but that does not mean that is the only place that we can be salt. And there might be a cause or a purpose or direction that you feel God is calling you to. And I am here this morning to say, don't lose that passion, that fire, that desire. Please share that with someone and let's see where God leads you in that. You are salt. You are salt. Live that out. Bring the life of the kingdom wherever you are. Now, Jesus also talks about light. When we think about light, of course, we think about light shining in the darkness. Its purpose is to bring warmth and comfort Light brings direction. Light guides us. That's why we have lighthouses. The lighthouse is a signal for the ship that's at sea. It's a warning of where the rocks are. It's to bring the ship home. Light provides that direction. Light engages the darkness and shows the right path, giving hope to those who see it. Jesus uses this image of a city on a hill. And we are to be that city on the hill. The world is to see us. The world is to see the church, to see how we interact with one another, to experience and taste the community that we offer when they come through our doors or when we're out engaged with them. And Jesus talks about what our light should look like in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. You go through there and you see not only how distinct we should be as Christians in topics of sexuality, uh, money, uh, how we relate to our enemies, uh, all these ways that we as followers of Christ are to be distinct and engaged in our culture. We are to be that beacon to show people, hey, this is the life that Jesus offers. This is what it looks like. This is what it tastes like. This is what it smells like. Don't you want that? If you've ever been in a dark place and you've seen light, you've wanted to go to the light. 
You've wanted to run to the light. And Jesus is saying, if we're living out these principles of the, the Sermon on the Mount, we will be that light. We will be that light. Jesus himself describes his mission in these terms because he was and is the light of the world. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we as his followers, we're simply to reflect that light to the world because, let's face it, there's a lot of people in our communities, in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplace that are lost in the, the dark prison of, of being self-absorbed, uh, of living for the idols of our, of our culture, of, of feeling like you know, they've got to strive to be something, to be someone, to find any sense of purpose. And we, as his followers of Christ, are to call people and say there's a different way. Come out of that darkness Come and see and experience the life that Jesus has to offer you. And that is our calling. Now, if we are to live this way, we can expect a reaction. We can expect a response. Jesus says in the first part of our passage that we could expect persecution or maybe disgust. He says in verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, we should... Be clear here, Jesus says on my account, we are not to be persecuted or, or spit upon or despised because we're jerks. Let's make that clear. Uh, because we're judgmental, because of any of, uh, of those qualities, we should be persecuted and reviled because of Jesus. Because we are reflecting Him. Because His truth, we're living out of His truth in humility and love. And that can rub people the wrong way, especially when they're, they're holding on to their idols that they don't want to let go of. And sometimes the culture might not be out there. Sometimes the culture is within the church. Uh, those values that the church has adopted that are outside the values of the kingdom. On Thursday night, we went to uh, Q Commons. It was a, a discussion about our divided nation. And uh, Lecrae, who's a hip-hop artist, was talking about um, his desire to speak out about the injustice that many in the African-American community have experienced with police brutality and, and these other issues that are so prevalent in the news. And he talked about how uh, before he started speaking out on these issues, he was uh, warmly welcomed within white evangelical circles. But then he began to speak out on these things. He began to say, hey, listen, there's a problem. You know, to be a follower of Christ means we have to address these issues. We need to talk about these things. We need, we need to be open about these things. Well, he got a lot of backlash from that. The same people that were welcoming him began to say, Hey, man, just make it about the gospel. Don't talk about race. Don't talk about these things. And he began to experience some of that persecution, some of that revulsion, because he was trying to live out as salt and light. And anytime we, do, anytime we do this, we can expect that. Now, now, this is hard for me because I am the ultimate people pleaser. I, I am Mr. Nice Guy. And one of the things I've always lived in trying to do is, is not to get reactions from people, to try to be as vanilla as possible. I mean, often in my clothes, I know I've got green pants, so you might think, this guy's not vanilla, but this is new for me. This is me trying to branch out. 
because I normally gravitate to blue and gray, you know, very neutral colors. I don't want to rock the boat, right? I, I know a lot of you can relate. A lot of you are like me. You don't want conflict. You don't want reaction. You don't want to stir the boat. Because you're like me, being nice is the path to being loved, to getting your needs met, to having a smooth, comfortable life. And let's face it, we need to confess that idol. Many of you in this room need to confess that idol along with me. We're too comfortable. And we're unwilling to be salt and light because we don't want people mad at us. But this is what Jesus is calling us to Not to be bland, not to be vanilla, not to be comfortable. But the other response we see here is is the wonderful, wonderful response at the end of the passage where Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Rodney Stark, a sociologist, He's written a lot about the Christian faith through the centuries. And he talks about how the early church and the spread of the early church, in in many ways it was due to uh, the followers of Christ and their faithfulness in caring for the sick. And he describes how Greeks and Romans uh, kind of viewed those who were sick during plagues or illnesses that were affecting whole communities. Uh, It was described this way, that Greeks and Romans, at at the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead, and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. This is from an ancient historian. Describing the perspective of these people in dealing with the plague. But here you have Christians who are followers of Jesus. Jesus who would touch lepers. Jesus who told his his disciples to go heal the sick. Jesus who got into arguments at the dinner table because of how he related to those who were supposedly inferior or outcasts. You see, for Jesus, the least of these were those who were treasured most. And so Jesus' followers took Jesus at his word and said, no, we are to go out, we are to be engaged, we are to be distinct, we are to be salt, we are to be light. And the communities noticed. And people flocked to the church. And people gave glory to God. And there was uh, Emperor Julian the Apostate, he chastised his, his pagan priests for not keeping up to the way that Christians were caring for the sick and the poor. He said, listen, you know, these impious Galileans, they support not only their poor, but our poor as well. And people are turning to them and running to them because they were salt and light. So the early church father, Tertullian, said this, it is our care of the helpless our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of our opponents. Oh, if that was King's Church, (laughs) if that was the evangelical church, if that was the American church. So how can we become this? How can we get to this place where we we are distinct, we are engaged, 
We are salt and we are light. And of course, it's the gospel, isn't it? You see, in order to be going out, being distinct and yet engaged in our world, we have to see, don't we, that the darkness out in the world is actually in here. That the darkness that we think, the mess that we think is the world, is actually right here. And that the good news of the gospel only comes when you embrace the bad news of the gospel, and that is that we are broken, that we are messy, that that manure pile that we are supposed to be engaged with is actually, it flows out of us. That Jesus came to be salt and light for you and for me. That the world is us. And that we are the world in the sense of Jesus coming to die for us, to live for us, to be resurrected for us. Because don't you see that when you embrace that understanding, it changes everything. It, it infuses you with humility. And that you no longer... See it as us versus them, but you see other people, those who do not have Christ. You see them as equals. You see them as a fellow sinner. You see them as a poor beggar who needs bread, just like you. And so we have to start there. We have to be humbled by the gospel. We have to be humbled by our need for Jesus and see that he is the salt and light that we need. That we need to admit this and confess this and and live out of this brokenness. That's how we become distinct, because there are few people who are willing to really admit who they are. We go through life hiding that. And so we as the church can be truly distinct if we're willing to confess it and admit it and bring it to bear and say, listen, this is who I am, but through Christ, He's renewing me and restoring me and bringing life out of this barren heart. But we can also be engaged when we, when we embrace the gospel with gratitude, when it begins to change our hearts and we, out of thankfulness, give glory to God and say, Lord, use me, use me to be this salt and light in my community. When we see ourselves in this way, it changes our perspective. I've been volunteering as a referee um, for AYSO soccer. My kids are on a soccer team. And so uh, I'm not coaching this year. I've coached previous years. And let me tell you, one of the frustrating things on a Saturday is when the ref is, is blind and, uh, you know, is missing all the calls. And, I, and I, it was always hard to keep my mouth shut and, and not yell and not get mad at the referees. But that has completely changed after refereeing myself. <laughs> I have missed so many calls. And, and the, the weird thing is, in the moment, I make the call and I know I miss the call. And, I, and the coaches are mad at me. And, you know, what can you do? But, but because I've lived it, because I've experienced it, because I've become one of them, it's changed my perspective. And I think that's what the gospel does for us. It changes our perspective in how we view others. And to be salt and light, that kind of change has to happen. And so that's why we try to preach the gospel every week. That's why we try to come back. That's why we're, we're uh, doing the confession of sin in a service. We want to be reminded each week of what Christ has done for us, how he's won the victory for us, and live out of that joy. 
And so let me, let me conclude with this. Jesus is giving us this image of salt and light. And he's given it to us, the church. I know that's a, that's a perspective or a point maybe you just assumed. But I want to I close on this because I think it's vital. Because our temptation as Christians is to take this as an individual and, and, and leave today and think, I've got to be salt and light. I need to try to live this out. I need to change how I'm spending my time and, and living my life. And I want you to see that the more important question is not how I can live as salt and light, but how we can live as salt and light. Because Jesus here is using you in verses 13 and 14. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's using you for the group not the individual. He's saying you folks, uh, for those of you from the South, y'all. That's what Jesus is saying here. You're not salt and light so much as an individual. You're salt and light as a community. We need to hear this through a communal lens. Uh, How many of you have either have run a Tough Mudder? Do you know what that is? No, it's, it's one of these race obstacle courses. It, it, you know, I think it's like 10 to 12 miles in length. And, you know, there are lots of different kinds of obstacle races you could do. Um, what's unique about the Tough Mudder race is it's really, it really emphasizes that you're running this race as a team. Uh, that's the unique tw- twist. The obstacles are designed to encourage group participation. So when you run, you're not competing against the clock. And you're not trying to get your best time. You're trying to see the entire team finish. That's what's important. And I love this picture. This is one of the obstacle- obstacles from the, from the course. And I love this image. And, and oh, if we could begin to see ourselves this way. Now, what do you notice? There's a lot of mud. <laughs> There's a lot of mess. And isn't that the church? Isn't that us? Uh, and, and notice they're, they're working together. It's kind of a ridiculous obstacle, but I think they're climbing up one another to get to the top. They're working together to make it to the top of that obstacle. And I want that visual. I want you to live or leave today with that visual in mind. That to be salt and light, it's, it's, a, it's a calling for us as a community, not so much you as an individual. And my hope is that your passion and your desire would be to see us as a church live this out. That's what we want to see God do. Jesus, I pray that these prayers would continue throughout this day as we're with friends and family May this conversation continue. May we be talking about how we can be salt and light, be distinct and engaged. Lord, convict us, encourage us. Help us to live up and live out of our identity so that you might be glorified and that you might draw the nations to yourself. We love you, Jesus. Amen.